0: This is The Why of Where, a podcast that tries to answer the why, what, where, when, who and how about the world we live in. My name is Rob Flynn, and in this episode, the question I'll be asking is, what is a country? Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) What is a country? What it is to me? A country is... um... Well, it has a government. I would have a government. There may be mixed race, there may be mixed religion, there may be... Some kind of leadership, Ireland, Uh, with borders and boundaries. Traditionally, a shared sense of culture and history. Some sort of uh, power or authority ruling it as well. Um, France. There's some groups of people that don't have a country but feel they're a nation. But I'm going off the point. Like sovereign, sovereignty type thing. Place where we live and. hard question Um, New York Boundaries defined by common agreement I suppose somewhere that people call home to me that's what a country is (laughs) isn't that terrible okay that's it these questions are easy yeah we all know what a country is I mean it's pretty simple it's a place where people live that has a government and a flag and its own independence, and that's it. Pretty self-explanatory. Right? Well, you only have to look to Ireland's closest neighbour to see things start to get a little more complicated. The UK is a country with the sixth biggest economy in the world after being overtaken by India last year, more overseas territories than any other country. Not surprising given that they had the biggest empire in history and the 23rd highest alcohol consumption per capita. Moldova holds the top spot, if you were wondering, and Ireland comes in a joint sixth place. Anyway, the UK is a country, but England, Scotland, and Wales are countries too, aren't they? Well, depending on who you ask, Wales is more of a principality, although literally the first question on the wales.com FAQ page asks about this, and their answer states unequivocally, Wales is a country in its own right, and I guess they should probably know. And it's not completely clear what exactly Northern Ireland should be referred to as either, variously being termed a country, province, region and so on. As with many other aspects of the North's politics, it doesn't really seem like everyone can reach a consensus. So anyway, England and Scotland are definitely referred to as countries, but they also exist within a larger sovereign country, which is the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. And they're not the only ones with this arrangement. The Kingdom of Denmark is made up of three constituent countries, Denmark itself, the Faroe Islands and Greenland, each with their own distinctive identity, national anthem, football team, regional government and so on. So how can they be a country while also being inside of another country? Well you could argue that Scotland or Greenland aren't technically countries at all in a practical sense, operating more like federal states or provinces like in the US, Russia or Canada, with a degree of self-governance, but ultimately answerable to a central government. In this context, the country label is primarily semantic, and could be looked at more like a linguistic compromise brought about by the unique circumstances of those nations' complex histories. So, it might be best if we take a step back and try to set out some basic criteria of things that all countries should reasonably have, and maybe that will help clear things up. Those criteria could include things like having a permanent population, people who call that place home and see themselves as citizens of that country. They'd need some sort of defined territory with land and borders so that we can point to it on a map, that it exists in a specific place and it would need a government of some kind that has authority over that place. And also, it would need some capacity to have international relations with other countries. Otherwise, well, how would that even work? So those criteria seem pretty broad. Surely they should help narrow down what exactly a country is. And if we take somewhere like Japan as an example, it seems to hold up pretty well. Japan has a permanent population of about 126 million people. It has a clearly defined territory, as an island nation, with no direct land borders with another country. It has a government, with a prime minister, and a legislature, and even an emperor, which is pretty rare these days. And lastly, it has strong international relations, with embassies in over 150 countries, and has been a member state of the UN since 1956. So yeah, as these criteria help show, Japan, unsurprisingly, is a country. The idea that meeting these basic criteria is what it takes to become a country is known as the declarative theory. It's called that because the theory goes once somewhere, ticks all those boxes, independence is just a matter of self-declaration. In practice though, that's not really how it works. Take Catalonia, the region of northeastern Spain that includes the city of Barcelona. Does it have a permanent population, a defined territory? a government, and the ability to have international relations? Yeah, it ticks all those boxes. And, according to a referendum in 2017, it voted with an overwhelming majority for independence from Spain. So that's the story of how Catalonia became the world's newest sovereign state. Well, except it didn't quite happen like that. First of all, it must be said that the results of that referendum are contentious and that most Catalans, in favour of remaining a part of Spain, boycotted the vote. But there have been opinion polls in the past that have shown slim majorities for independence in the region. Regardless, Spain declared the referendum unconstitutional and refuses the idea of self-determination for any region of the country. And the international community has largely backed up Spain's judgement on this viewing it as an internal matter and not as an international dispute for them to intervene in. So although some Catalans may aspire for an independent country, without Spanish assent for an official referendum or the support of other countries, it probably isn't going to happen anytime soon. This alternative idea, that it's really international recognition that decides whether you're a country or not, is known as the constitutive theory. Now, there are countries such as Taiwan that seem unambiguously to be independent countries, but that nonetheless have limited recognition. So this theory doesn't quite hold up in all circumstances, but most of the time, in practice, this idea is the one that wins out. So, if we take international recognition as a key component to being a country, then what better place to look than at the United Nations? It was set up for the express purpose, Of peaceful cooperation between all nations of the world. So, whether you're a member state or not would seem to be a straightforward way to determine your sovereignty on the international stage. All you need to become a UN member state is to fulfill two simple criteria. Number one, that you're a sovereign nation that is willing and able to abide by the UN's rules. And number two, that existing UN member states agree to allow you into the club. So, can we assume then? that the full list of UN member states, which currently numbers at 193, comprises a complete tally of all internationally recognised countries. Well, no. Because of the Vatican. Yes, it may be tiny, only about 6% the size of Phoenix Park, and arguably is in a grey area on having a permanent population, given that there are no native-born citizens, and the gender imbalance there would make sustaining a population pretty tricky. Anyway, it is nonetheless pretty much universally recognised as an independent country. However, for reasons that are fairly self-explanatory, the Vatican City has chosen not to pursue membership, and instead is what is known as a non-member permanent observer state, which is basically a way to recognise the legitimacy of its claim of statehood, even though it's not an official member. What complicates things further is that there is one other state, in this same category as the Vatican, which is Palestine, and which is… well, that's for another podcast. But let's just say that there are very strong arguments for its recognition as a member state, and that, unlike the Vatican, Palestine did request full UN membership back in 2011, but it was unable to receive approval from the UN Security Council due to a likely veto by the United States. It seems that, until there is some sort of peaceful resolution with Israel, Palestine will likely stay in this category. And this rabbit hole goes even deeper, with places like Kosovo, Somaliland, among others, all seemingly fulfilling the criteria for what makes a country a country, and have been striving to receive broad international recognition, but for one reason or another, so far they have been unable to receive it. So, the UN isn't a perfect barometer either, in fact, there is no single definition or categorization that neatly includes every place that is a country and excludes everywhere that isn't. There are useful parameters by which to judge them, and they will help narrow the field, but ultimately there is usually an exception to prove the rule. Even the word country is a complex and loaded term that, like all of language, has evolved over time. For many years, the word country was more commonly used to refer to general regions rather than political entities, being derived literally from the Latin contra, to refer to a land lying opposite. It has always been a loose term, and despite the consolidation and solidification of nation-states over the past few centuries, there is nothing fundamental or inevitable about them as a concept. And because of that, there will always be unusual edge cases that defy easy categorization. And really, that shouldn't come as a great surprise. I mean, they're a product of human society, and if there's one thing that's true about society, it's that it can be pretty messy. So, what is a country? Well, one thing that is certain is that, as a concept, it will continue to evolve. The borders within and without each nation are imperfect and often problematic. And in an ever more globalized and interconnected world, things will inevitably change. You could argue that the whole concept of countries is inescapably a destructive one, something that creates arbitrary divisions and entrenches ideas of prejudice, racism and hostile nationalism. However, although there may be some truth to that, there can also be great opportunity in statehood. It can provide people with a sense of shared experience and identity, and when supported by strong democratic institutions, gives us the ability to shape our path, our values and our priorities for the future. This when combined with respect and open-mindedness can allow us to create close cross-cultural bonds and provide an invaluable means of social and economic progress that ultimately can help us all. Particularly in this period of growing nativism and international tension, it's all the more important that we all push for the best of what countries can stand for and strive always to, as the UN Charter states, practice tolerance and live together in peace with one another as good neighbors. Thanks for listening to The Why of Where. This is the first in a three episode mini series that I'm doing as a bit of an experiment into podcasting and as an excuse to talk about something that I'm personally passionate about. I hope you liked it. And if you have any feedback or corrections for the show, please feel free to email at the why of where podcast at gmail.com or find me on Twitter or Instagram at thewyofwear. This episode was written and produced by me, Rob Flynn. Music is by Sounds Like an Earful and Blue Dot Sessions. And thanks to Chris Flynn for the podcast artwork. And a special thanks to all my contributors. Mary. Melissa. Chris. Katrina. Needless. Graham. Sharon. Fergus.